Hey guys, I hope you guys like the intro to this podcast, um, which is only available to those listening through Anchor. It is The Last Tango in Paris by The Gotten Project, G-O-T-A-N Project, Last Tango in Paris. If you guys like that smooth, swanky song, you know exactly where to go find it now. Um, You heard the name of it, and for those of you who did not hear it, I suggest you look for it on YouTube. It's actually a very nice instrumental. It's very classy. Something that's kind of like one of those sit at a restaurant with a nice cup of wine and a really good plate full of chicken quesadillas or vegetarian quesadillas and blah, blah, blah. And there's no music blasting like crazy. It's that kind of song. Yeah, that kind of song. For some reason, the colors associated with that song whenever I hear it is like, a red dress or something or red wine I don't know it's just classy and swanky Um, yeah that's just me and my perceptions of music sometimes so whenever you get a chance just listen to a couple of songs and think of the colors and textures that pop up when you hear it this may be opening a whole different door to a different podcast by the way and I'm not even aware of it so I wanted to give a special thanks to everybody listening to my anchor podcast uh near and far uh it's casper c-a-s-p-h-e-r out of massachusetts and um yeah so this episode you are going to be listening to is an episode from this morning um i was on a radio show in perspective radio out of massachusetts that is being heard in almost all 50 states. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we're talking about teaching photography to blind and low vision students and adults. And I got to be the uh, instructor of this wonderful experience happening in Boston, Massachusetts. A lot of engineering and all of this pioneering of wonderfulness, trailblazing, breaking boundaries, getting out of borders, and little limitations and stuff like that. Get up out of that crap, y'all. Hang on. By the way, we are 77 episodes in, guys. Keep on listening. Go. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco. With me, of course, my good friend and co-host, Al Hensel. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Going well, thank you. Before I introduce my guest, I would like to thank Out of Sight Radio and Sea Joy Internet Radio for airing in perspective on their respective internet radio stations. And I would also like once again to thank JS Web Solutions, who happens to be my website designer, for all the hard work that they do making sure that our podcasts are archived on my website, which is www dot brancoevents.com slash podcasts. Several months ago, we had Cassandra Xavier. I almost said Xavier. You have to forgive me. See, I use Jaws. Jaws is a speech reader. And Cassandra, unfortunately, Jaws doesn't pronounce your name properly. It it pronounces it Xavier. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and we know we know your name is Cassandra Xavier, and we also know that you were on In Perspective once to talk about blind people learning how to do photography. And I yes. believe at the time you were thinking about teaching a course rather than participating in one. So you came to me recently and told me that you just finished teaching a course, and you would yeah. like to bring bring that out to our listeners as to how that went. So yes. without further ado, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, Let me introduce once again, Cassandra Xavier. Hello, everybody. Um, Thanks for joining us today on Saturday, July 14th. Um, I am here once again to talk about photography and the blind. Um, I was, I just finished a session about a month ago teaching for the second time in the Roxbury location area. And it was a fun experiment, teaching um, school-age students and adults with blindness of all levels and or other disabilities accompanying blindness. 
Um, the first time I did that was back in the winter. And that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And it turned out to be the best experience I've had, which encouraged me to want to teach it again. So I had another opportunity to teach photography with the blind and visually impaired again. And so that went well, even more so, that much more in debt. And then I was presented, actually, there was a proposal made to me to um, teach during the school year um, for the school age students as well as young adults. And I accepted the offer to teach photography again during the school year, twice a, di twice a week for a couple of, actually, yeah, pretty much throughout the school year. And I decided, yes, I would do it. And this time would get even more innovative and more creative, seeing how it may be the same group of students and more or a different variety of students coming in uh, to learn about how to do photography as someone with blindness and just removing the barriers that were said to be there for someone who apparently couldn't learn how to do photography because they were blind. So Cassandra, and, just real, real quick. Um, are you saying that this will be upcoming this next school year? Yes. Oh, awesome. So exciting. <laughs> I'm excited about this. So it's becoming more and more serious. It's getting very like it's, it's um, developing into something more where it's more, it's becoming a more of a permanent fixture, so to speak. Whereas we'll see. Before you continue, Cassandra, I just want to have something clarified for our listeners. Are most, if not all, of your students totally blind, or do they have some sight? Um, most of them are totally blind. Okay. I just want to establish that because a lot of people in the general public don't understand, frankly, how somebody with no vision at all can appreciate photography because photography is such a very visual subject matter you need your sight to be able to see what you're doing pictures and all if you're totally blind some people might not understand or realize how this works so maybe you can elaborate a little further how this works okay so how it works is you know there are you know like most people when they first come into the course they feel that there are special cameras required to be able to do this and there aren't um, we just use traditional like Canon cameras, you know, the digital cameras with the lens that retract in and out and a couple of adaptive techniques that permits us to do our photography comfortably and safely. So what I tell them is vision is not needed in order to enjoy something that is very visual. It could be that, you know, it's a way of capturing the environment of someone who is totally blind or with low vision and, you know, sharing our perspective of what we see, even as blind individuals or with other disabilities intertwined. Um, and the whole point, most of the, like, the major point of that would be to help alleviate the fear of, you know, being misunderstood as someone who's blind taking pictures when in fact it's for everyone to be able to do with or without eyesight. That's the point I tried to get across is you could do whatever anyone else is doing too. Well, most of everything else anyone else is doing at least. And then just to elaborate on what Bob mentioned, Cassandra, for a lot of our listeners who haven't heard uh, your part one on photography for the blind, um, you, you've basically one of the things that drove you to do this was to allow people to go out into, into the world and do something long only accepted as something that sighted folks would do, but something that they've always wished to do, um, maybe, but didn't have the confidence. So I, I assume that as you teach these skills, some of them adaptive, and you get, and then these folks who actually get involved in the proactively in photography get feedback, um, especially from some of their sighted counterparts or people in in the sighted world. They they can immensely boost self confidence across a lot of different 
uh, levels. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, okay. So basically what happens is I, I know some folks in the Brookline area that would be willing to exhibit some of the photography of um, they it's specifically geared towards people with all types of disabilities where they would display um, the artwork and the photography of those with all types of disabilities to the general public. And so, you know, they're not doing this not only for confidence boosting, but to also show the world around them and show people in their environment that they too can fulfill their curiosities. I'm pretty sure there were lots of people who were curious about at least one time just wondered like, hey, what would it be like if I took photography as a blind person? Um, and so there it is. They're in that class to find out that there are no um, border lines of what. You no know, borders, no barriers, right, Cassandra? Nope, right. nope, no That's borders or barriers. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> Cassandra, take us through a typical lesson. Now, I'm going to pretend that I am a sighted person who knows nothing at all about how a blind person learns photography. Better than that, I am a blind person who is curious about how I would be able to detect or understand where everything is in order to take a picture of what's around me without me seeing it. So take us through that simple process, if it is simple or otherwise, so that I can better understand how it works. And our listeners would be curious also. Um, so a typical day of doing a photography class with someone who's either sighted or blind is, you know, before the class would start, we would, um, we would all come together, you know, have our cameras that we have stored somewhere. And then we would talk about what we're going to do. Like, um, some people want to do f pictures of objects and some want to do environmental stuff like outside. So we would have someone guide them. And the folks that want to go outside to take pictures, we would guide them to the outdoor area and allow them to do freelance photos, which would consist of a couple of um, adaptive techniques while the ones who choose to do objects indoors would also follow some of the steps for the adaptive techniques of photography. Um, so basically, if I can elaborate on the adaptive techniques, it's just maybe three simple techniques. The first one being the bird's eye view. Uh, the second one, actually, I'll explain what the bird's eye view is first. The bird's eye view is basically when you have the camera pointing downwards towards the object, but raised up. So the lens that allows the photo to be taken is raised up, actually facing down towards the object on a surface. Right. And you would snap the photo. And now just to make it comfortable, the photo, the object doesn't have to be centered. So there's no such thing as perfection in the world of art. Perfection is only seen with those who are doing this like the people who are seeing it, you know, sometimes people don't like things that are centered. We want to do things at all angles. So let that piece be a, uh, something you can relax about um, without worrying about something being perfect. The second technique is the hip shot. Now that was one of my favorite techniques because you can walk with the camera and snap photos simultaneously. The hip shot is where you would put the camera down by your side, by your waist, either on your left or your right side by your waist, and you'd have your hand on, your finger on the button that allows you to snap the photo. And you could walk and take pictures at the hip shot angle. Um, and it captures the environment around you. Or you could stand still and capture the photo. Um, and then there is also the, the angle where the third technique where you can just have the camera by your chest or on your shoulder, like above your shoulder or above your head. Um, so you can get the shots from that angle. Is there a name for that tech, a catchy name for that one, too, Cassandra? <laughs> chest no, shot. Seriously? Chest shot. OK, good. Good. Chest shot, shoulder shot, head shot. Yeah. 
Um, those are the three adaptive techniques for someone with either minimal or no eyesight. Because notice how I made sure you didn't have to hold the camera up to your eye because you can't see out of the display. Right. Either not too well or at all. Okay. I mean, it's optional. You can hold the camera up to your eye just because it may feel comfortable, but it's okay. fine. You can choose so, to do it either way. Sure. So, Cassandra, I'm standing five feet in front of you, let's say, or ten feet in front of you. And your assignment as a student who can't see is to take a picture of me. So you do your chest shot or whatever shot you described. Now, how will you necessarily know that despite all of what you're doing, that my face is going to end up in your camera? Hmm. So five feet in front of you, I'm guessing that's an arm's length. Well, maybe maybe we're talking. Maybe let's go 15 feet. 15 okay, that, feet. That's further away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So basically, 15 feet. We would use a table. Uh, that's about that distance. We'd have the person stand at the opposite end of the table, and you stand at the opposite end. And based on the person's height, we would have them do a headshot. We would have the camera above their head and snap the photo. You end up with more than just their face. You'd have like more of their background mostly and their face in the picture too, depending on the height in comparison to who's standing in front of who. Well, let's say that I'm standing up. I'm the photographer. I'm standing up next to the table that you put in front of me. And on the other side of the table is Shaquille O'Neal. He's seven <laughs> feet, one inch tall, let's say. What What adjustment would you make for me or have me make in order to make sure that I do the right job. You would extend your arm straight up and then snap the photo. Okay. How would I know how far up to extend my arms? Um, Shaquille O'Neal is pretty tall, so it could take like your entire arm length and more. Um, but you would just take a lucky shot at this a, point. A lucky shot. Well, would, would verbal clues be appropriate say he wants to say oh i'm up here i'm, I'm high i'm up here would that help? Uh, no like they would just be a little more precise like you can like maybe raise your arms slightly higher or something like that and they would follow would, that I would, I would think you would need a guide in order to know how high or how much of an angle to do this i know that i take videos myself and the way that I do my videos is I listen to people around me, and that's how I know where they are. Yes, the listening, the audio cues can definitely be one of those very helpful techniques. Um, and sometimes it would be good to have another person with you or a sighted person with you that would help you um, get the perfect angle. So... The classes usually have at least one sighted person with us or two just to make sure, you know, things are going as we intended to, like photography-wise, especially with outdoor adventure. So, Cassandra, this is – and now Bob just started – he does this all the time to me. I, I have a crazy, vivid imagination, and he just started this whole chain of thought process going in my mind where I'm almost thinking, and maybe you've done this before, but if you haven't, maybe it's a food for thought for more advanced photography for the blind. But my, my, my thought is this. Once, once these folks graduate out of the classroom, so to speak, and they have a really good rudimentary understanding of adapting their skill sets in order to take decent photographs, uh, and maybe in most cases to them, they're perfect photographs. So I'm envisioning myself outside by myself with a camera and a huge passion to get some really awesome pictures. Now, I'm picturing myself as totally blind, and I'm walking around, say, a public venue, and I hear a couple sitting on a bench, let's say, or just talking back and forth, and it sounds like really poignant, whatever it might be, whether it's a heated argument 
whether it's a, you know, like it's a maybe a romantic conversation. Maybe it's just this real heated conversation. And I want to try and get a picture that I feel in my mind might reflect that. And there's nobody around me that can show me what to do. Give us an idea of how you might approach that situation, if you could, please. Well, I've actually done that before. So oh, good, basically, good. <laughs> so basically, what I would do is I was I would get an undershot, and that is where you would just put the camera like hunched down and point in the direction or close to the direction of the voices that you hear yep. and snap it from the ground up. Basically, yeah, like from so below and awesome. up. Awesome. That is cool. That's cool. <laughs> so, Bob, we she's probably actually kind of answered your question a little bit more, too, without sighted people and not talking about formal technique and training and stuff. This would be an actual live situation, which I assume, Cassandra, even already some of your students have probably expressed the desire to keep this going outside of the classroom. Am I right on that? Absolutely. Yeah. They've spent like their whole like weekends doing that. And, you know, a lot of my students had expressed how excited they were to do photography and they were kind of bummed that it was finished and everything for the summer. And, you know, they look forward to doing more and they talked about it to other people that may that inquired about joining. Um, and some have even decided that they wanted to actually go to like school to do photography, even despite their blindness. Right. And that says a lot right there. <laughs> sure does. Yeah, you're right. And, and and you can thank yourself and the people around you who created this uh, venue of, of self-confidence boost for them as, as the source of them wanting to get out there and want to do more. I think that's totally it's it's not only awesome, but it's amazing to me. Sandra, what kind of technology is used? Is it a sophisticated digital technology? No, it's just, no, like nothing sophisticated. Um, you can just use a regular digital camera. It doesn't have to be like a $3,000 Nikon. You can just go to Target and get like one of those little Canon cameras with a um, SD card and battery pack for about $108. Or sometimes you're lucky and find one for $85 and get started. That's it. One of, the, right. one of the things that puzzles me, too, Cassandra, I'm not sure if you've – how you treat this type of situation, but um, I see limited – for anybody who's really into numbers and, and ratios, I see 20 over 800 in one eye, which is 40 times less than somebody with 20-20 vision. That means literally that for every one foot, add 40 to um, the cl – the, depth at which I'm able to see something. So if, if, if I see an object, Cassandra, that maybe is actually 10 feet away, that would, to a sighted person, look like they were seeing it at the same size at about 400 uh, feet away. So I depend a lot on zoom. When I'm looking through the back of my, and I'll plug it uh, because I love the brand Canon uh, uh, PowerShot camera, so it's a basically a point and shoot. I do have a zoom capability. And so to me, when I take pictures, from my perspective, they always look huge to a sighted person's perspective. Um, how do you basically or do you encourage, discourage or n neither a person you, to use z zoom? Because I imagine if they don't use zoom, they get a heck of a lot more of what they're in other words, the camera is much more forgiving, right? If I'm using wide angle on, on an object, uh, basically, you know, if I'm trying to capture something, the, the, the less zoom I'm using, the wider the angle, the more forgiving the camera is going to be. Is that correct? Correct. I would encourage, I absolutely encourage students to do whatever makes it fun for them. Zoom in, zoom out. Um, some would even get very creative and invert colors, which would be right. completely, you know, their way of expressing their own creativity. I'd say, you know, zoom in if you want. Like some students only took really large pictures and that's pretty, that's 
really cool too. That's completely innovative and creative on their own. And so it's great to have a variety of photography expression perspective. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Expressing yourself is one of the key motives in these classes. Like be expressive. Don't stay confined to one spot. Spread out. Cassandra, we have blind people listening to our program all over the United States. Obviously, your class is in Brookline, Massachusetts, and I actually have friends in Brookline who I can talk to about this. But what would you suggest to people that are living out of state who are hearing you now who say, gee, I, I wish we had something like that in my own state, in my own city, because I can't just go up to Brookline, Mass. Anytime I feel like it, take your course. <laughs> I would say, you know, whenever you're, you get some time, you would just, you know, like you could either use an iPhone um, to take photos or you can get a digital Canon camera, small pocket size one. Oh, if you have any camera around at all, like you just, you know, experiment with objects at home or places near your house and create your own experimental courses just to, you know, get get everything, you know, get the engine going, you know, and, you know, self-motivation and build as well from a distance. And then, you know, begin tracking what you do, like document it, save the things you put, like save the photos you take um, and keep trying until, you know, if there are more more than one person, like one more than one individual who know each other in another state. Um, and they're close by, you know, they can get to each other, perhaps starting a, a group photography session in their other state, and they'll just meet together at a local cafe or something and talk about it and do some indoor experimenting and then branch out outdoors, you know, create other areas of, you know, like fun experiments. I hope that answers. Um, yes. I, if I can follow up a bit, though, Cassandra, um, any thoughts to or is there by your group that's obviously blazing a big trail over there um, to, like, put something up online or to offer some sort of instructional tutorial for potential teachers in other areas that they could use as a guide? Um, yeah. We're definitely going to work on putting some of the work online, and I've already created a slideshow of some of the guiding techniques for potential instructors and students that want to go in that route. So all of that is in the process of being developed. Tremendous. Yes. And I think we have some callers that want to talk to you, Cassandra. We got two. Nice. Uh, let me identify them. Okay, who would be who would like to go first? I'm Sharon Hooley. Sharon, Sharon Hooley, I remember you. You used to have a column in Consumer Vision a long time ago. Yeah, um, I'm totally blind, but I'm still still kind of interested. I've never been able to see, but you know, just because you can't see it all doesn't mean you're not interested. Do you have a question for our guest, Sharon? Um, well, I heard you saying something about using your voice to tell where things are, and that was, that was just after I joined. So is that, uh, is that basically for people with some vision? Um, I mean, audio cues can work for some with either a little, a little bit of vision, vision or none, or none at, all. at all. It varies, it varies with, with the, uh, the, uh, student. the student. Yeah, um, I guess in my case, um, I have a little difficulty with echolocation because of my hearing. And um, so I guess people would just have to tell me, you know, you, you got it in right. I'll tell you something interesting I did. When I was 11 years old, I told my brother that I wanted a camera. I, I saw, you know, my sister had a camera, and she 
go around taking pictures. And I told my brother that I wanted a camera for Christmas. So he gave me one. And what I did was I, one of the things I did was I lay down on the floor, straight out, put a, uh, a book under my head, and then get up and, and get behind that book to take a picture. I don't know if it always works, but what I tried to do. Sharon, uh, can I ask you a question? Did you ever show some of your photography to sighted people for feedback purposes? Um, I remember one of them, and, and uh, my mom, somebody said, uh, was So it, it was probably just an autofocus, a focusing issue. But otherwise, was was the picture in uh, good enough perspective for what you were trying to take it in, other than being blurred? Sure. Um, about now, I'm, I'm not trying to date your age or anything, Sharon, but about how was it more than 20 years ago that you did this? Uh, more like the I'm 53 now. Oh, okay, so we're talking about 40 years or so. So since then, Sharon, if you were to go out and Cassandra, please correct me if I'm wrong here. You could probably go out and purchase if you're able to, a relatively affordable point-and-shoot camera that will give you much, 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 much better um, auto-focusing. Yes, there are cameras that would automatically correct the lens. Was there anything else you wanted to ask, Sharon? Um... No, not. Well, thank you very much for calling. We have two other callers, believe it or not. Who's next? Who would like to talk Ooh. to Sandra Xavier? Anybody else? I thought I heard two callers after you, Sharon. Pardon? Is there anybody else on the line right now that would like to talk to our guest? Cassandra, because well, um, I, I think, oh, Bob, maybe you had somebody. Go right ahead. Go ahead, Al. Okay, so, Cassandra, just to follow up on Sharon's situation, it sounds, Sharon, as though you're very interested in taking another stab at this. And assuming that you might be entertaining it, doing it again, Cassandra, what, listening to how what Sharon said, uh, how what would what kind of advice would you give her to encourage her to do so in a comfortable way um a comfortable way like if you were for example if you wanted to take a picture of someone you can tell them to be very precise like you might you know for example turn slightly right or left something like that because of the echolocation that may not be um, helpful or something. Right. So like being very specific about turning directions and how far out to stick your arm with the camera or something like that, that could definitely be one of the helpful and more comfortable, um, tips for wanting to continue experimenting. Um, you just tell them to be, please be, uh, very specific about where you're standing. Like have you turn your body to the left a little bit? Yeah, like a turn 90 degree or something. Yeah. And, and let me add, too, uh, Sharon, perhaps for your benefit, in addition to what Cassandra said about the prices for introductory point-and-shoot cameras, I can tell you by personal experience that Canon is a very, very forgiving brand for autofocusing. So you almost can't 
in my experience, go wrong by purchasing any Canon point-and-shoot camera, any power shot camera. Um, I assume the ELF line would also work, although I'm not sure how expensive that line is. But I found great experience with Canon myself. That's why. That's mm -hmm. why I recommend camera. They're very, okay. they're very blind friendly or just friendly with camera, like photos, period. Okay. I think we have a caller now. Uh, hello. You're on In Perspective with Cassandra Xavier. Hello. hello? Uh, oh, oh, it's Sharon. Sharon, you wanted to add something. Go right ahead. Oh, you can use an iPhone, too. Um, just so you know, you may not know this already, but when you have the photo, the camera open, you can press the up or down volume button that snaps the photo for you. That way, if depending on the size of your camera, you could have the camera in one hand. You can single-handedly take a photo by having it up and have your thumb no, on. No, actually, actually, if you notice, um, on the camera, I don't know how it is now, but it will actually tell you how many faces are in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. That's also one of the helpful things, too, is you can now use an iPhone for these kind of things. But, you know, like for some people, like I'm kind of one of those people that like to do the manual labor like the traditional camera. I'm kind of like my father when it came to photography. He liked to use older cameras. But, you know, with iPhones and everything, that's also very forgiving, too. And so I kind of like to do mixed medium. Like, I, would, I wouldn't mind teaching either with the iPhone or the actual camera. In fact, I would encourage the students to use whatever they can get, either the Canon camera or the iPhone perfectly fine or even ipad even cassandra are there specific is is there i should ask a specific application within the iphone framework that you would encourage as being uh simple and more blind friendly than anything else in terms of you of photography from an iphone um you would basically just use the camera app okay Yep. What's it called? Eyesight? Oh, no, just the um, camera app. Okay. okay. Mm. Cassandra, are your courses funded at all, or does the student have to pay out of pocket? Oh, no, they're funded. By whom? By an organization in Roxbury, um, Our Space, Our Place. Okay. Now, is this the only course that they fund, or is this just an organization that does a lot of other uh, municipal and community things for everyone? They do a lot of other things. Okay. Now, how does one get involved with your course? Do they have to go through that organization, or do they contact you, or, or is there a classroom that you use in a school where you would have to contact the school? Um, you would contact the organization. Um, they're even, they're also on Facebook too. You could reach out to them on Facebook as well as online. Um, and uh, we actually use a space out of the Tobin Community Center. So we use a room either upstairs or downstairs. Mm. Okay. So uh, the student doesn't have to pay at all. It's sort of like nope. a scholarship that he gets or she gets. Correct. Oh, I see. Good, good. Um, Bob, did you um did you have any other questions for Cassandra regarding uh, photography for the blind? Uh, not at the moment. Did you want to move on to asking her about uh, some of the other updates that updates she might that she... have? 
Yes, Cassandra, we've talked on the show and even off the air about your other endeavors, including the legislation about uh, airport security with items, for one thing. Uh, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure there are other things you want to get to, too, so I'll let you talk <laughs> about that. Oh, my goodness. The legislation that I got filed, now I realize, has been like the hearing happened seven months ago. Wow. Um, and still, I have not heard back from the House of Reps on whether or not the bill was passed or not. I was last told about a month ago is that everything, every bill that had a hearing on that day has been, been put on hold due to all the other legislation that they have going on. And I figured since we were already in line to get it passed, why couldn't they just pass ours and, you know, prioritize or just let everything go in order. Now, you know, Cassandra, I, Cassandra, we, we may have new listeners. Could you briefly tell new listeners what this original bill was that you were waiting to hear for, about and, why it's, and that it's taking a long time? So this bill was an act relative to disability awareness training, Bill H3802, in the MassachusettsLegislator.org website. Um this bill was basically tailored to, you know, like when someone has, you know, disabilities and they have equipment that they use and they go through airports and like airport security and their items are not where, what, like how they found it. You find your items broken, like very expensive equipment, like braille displays or like wheelchairs that need certain types of batteries and you find that messed up. Um, and they're not taking responsibility for damaging your things, and they pretty much leave you with your broken items that you didn't bring like that. Um, or just basically how they treat people, period. You know, no respect for anyone and their personal belongings, and we needed to, and I wanted to emphasize and ca capitalize on that and make sure that, yeah, there are security issues happening lately, but still, don't forget to be respectful to other people who are not violating your security rules, too. You know, like if you break something of mine, you need to be held accountable for it, or the, uh, the flight company, whatever airport security you go through needs to be held accountable for this. It doesn't make any sense, you know, to be traveling and find something broken and you clearly had your bag organized so, folks, let me and Cassandra, let me just elaborate <clears throat> for you on that as well from a last couple of shows that we had with Cassandra, folks, those coming in for the first time. It's not like this bill that Cassandra is introducing into the state of Massachusetts is going to cost a lot of people a heck of a lot of money. It's basically what what Cassandra is asking the Massachusetts legislature to do is to legislate into some sort of law legislation she, what she's trying to do is to get TSA or anybody else who's handling bags with with it, with pieces of very delicate or detailed organized equipment in these bags to simply just when they open the bag inspect the contents and make sure that they're careful in putting it back this isn't requiring a whole lot of money and so if any folks out there who have done any traveling themselves with delicate equipment like this i'm sure know exactly what cassandra is talking about please feel free to get on the phone to your your legislator and 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 identify that bill uh, and tell your congressman, your legislator, that you want that thing passed. Cassandra, could you give us the bill number again, please? The bill number is Bill H3802. So that's what you need, folks. Just get on the phone to your congressional uh, person and say, you want this, you know, airport security awareness bill passed. Like I said, it's not going to cost Massachusetts barely any funding at all except for the time these people would need to get this darn law passed and get it out into TSA or wherever all these people are in these airports around the state so that they're a little bit more careful. That's all. Thank you. It really isn't going to cost any money pretty much. It's just going to take some time, <clears throat> some time to train people, you know, sensitivity training awareness too, you know, um, it may not even be just equipment. It could just simply be 
people with certain types of sensory issues where, right. you know, they can't have too much people touching them all the time. Right. Correct. You know. And you know what? Maybe if people start practicing this thing, this this set of procedures, maybe it'll be incorporated into everything else so that, like, say, you know, I've got a, uh, I don't know, let's say a briefcase that I have to put into a suitcase, and it's got a lot of items organized in just such a way. They may not even be pieces of delicate equipment, but they may be just tossed asunder all over the place, at least maybe in cases like that. A lot of people traveling normally might find that uh, these folks are a little bit more careful with their things as well. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Sharon, if you're still on the line, do you have anything to add to this discussion? Um, no, I don't think so. Do you travel a lot on an airplane? Not a lot. Every once in a while I, I go somewhere, but not a lot. Okay. Well, Cassandra, let me ask again, why do you suppose it is that this is being dragged out? Well, you introduced this bill to us back in December. Yeah. I honestly don't know why this bill is being dragged out. I mean, it's gotten publicity when it first got filed. It was in the State House news articles, Dorchester Reporter. And it seemed like it had like a lot of flame behind it because I use social media to get it out there, too. Um, and so by the time December rolled around and the hearing, oh, by the way, that hearing got pushed back like twice, too. So I kind of suspected that's what they were going to do to it, was going to drag it till it was forgotten. And I refuse to let that happen. I want it to be acknowledged. And I'll even, you know, like propose something else to where they make sure things like this that are very important don't get pushed under and forgotten. I just want to make a personal observation. Why would anybody want to postpone something so serious to the disabled population? I feel that it had to do with the former supervisor from which I was uh, interning with last summer at the State House because he was upset when the State House news reporter came to interview me at the office and he couldn't make it there in time. So I kind of suspected he may have reached out and said some things to delay things. I don't know. Well, I well, jealousy. For lack of a better expression, I'll use the word spite on his part, and I don't think that is required or even figures into this serious situation. If I take an airplane and I've got expensive equipment and that airport staff is very clumsy with it, I'm sorry, I'm going to be upset because it's probably going to be very expensive equipment that won't work anymore. And that should supersede any personal spite or anything that you might feel happened with this individual who delayed the process or was something trivial. We're talking about expensive items that people with blindness issues or other disabilities need to use in their everyday lives to, to become independent or to be independent. Cassandra, mm. have you have you thought about um, perhaps going to like your local congressman, especially now where elections are coming up, midterm elections, uh, for the House of Representatives, it's every two years. Have you thought of trying to maybe get a bug in their ear to, you know, get this thing out there so that they can score some political points even? Um, that's a good idea. I've actually haven't thought of doing that. Well, this is a good idea. I may consider definitely putting that into place to actually do that and put the bug in their ear again. Um, to see if this gets brought back into the surface again. Like and for top. anybody and for any other of our listeners out there, too, who uh, feel as impassioned as Cassandra and I and Bob do about this thing getting done, you know, um, do the same thing. Get a hold of your local congressperson, uh, Senator Warren, a anybody out there, maybe, you know, some of the senators, if you're if you lean right, go to your Republican folks and talk to a Democrat. It doesn't matter. This this is a universal issue, folks, and it has longer range effects on more than just people with delicate equipment, especially those of us who are disabled. This this can actually help 
airport security. And if it gets implemented and, and shows good results, then perhaps it could even go federal. I mean, this is just common sense, inexpensive or literally not no expense legislation. And, and it just it's something I think that should make people doing their jobs out there haphazardly a little bit more conscientious. It doesn't take much. I agree, you know, and I that my intention is to have this bill go federal, you know. Cassandra, even if have, I, oh, go ahead. Even if I had like the opportunity, if I ended up moving back to Minnesota, I would even create a whole new legislation in there and see if we can get it federal through there. Yeah, that would be if good. Massachusetts, too. if Massachusetts so much as chooses not to do anything about right, it. Right. Correct. No, that's a good point. That, that, because this should be federal. It should. And I'll go to another state, you know. Before I came back to Massachusetts, Minnesota was ready to go on board to make this into a bill, you know. And But then I ended up coming here under the impression that Massachusetts was going to be progressive about this. Yeah, you would think. I know. You would think. <laughs> Have you thought about going on a talk show like WBZ's Dan Ray, Nightside, for example, they have listeners supposedly in 38 states, although I think that if you live anywhere around the world, you can listen, but that's another subject for another day. Have I you would ever, like to. Yes, because I think you need to attract more attention to this problem, where there, especially where there has been no progression. You want to let other folks know, get other people involved, and remind everybody how serious this is. I you know, If I'm a blind person and I'm on an airplane and I need to have some kind of sophisticated, oh, I don't know, laptop computer. Let's say it's a business meeting that I'm going to. And all of a sudden I leave my laptop computer at an airport and somebody drops it. Now it don't work anymore. Now I can't communicate anymore or keep up with my business colleagues because of some airport staff member's clumsy mistake, mm -hmm. that's, ser that's serious. It really is. It really is an inconvenience. And you know how expensive these things are? I certainly Chances do. are you're going to have to bother these state agencies that don't even want to do anything to get you something again because of something. No, the, these airport people have to be held accountable for this. And I would really, really appreciate it if all anyone who's still listening to reach out to your congressman whether you're left or right, um, talk to them about Bill H3802 and really just get the bug in their ear. Yeah, and tell light, a, them. light a fire under you. I mean, look, these folks are getting paid top dollar. They just voted themselves like, what is it, a 33% raise last year? You know, mm -hmm. let's, let's get going, folks. Come on now. This is common sense. It's not going to cost the Commonwealth of Massachusetts any money at all. If anything else, it helps TSA in a universal way to be a little bit more careful and a little bit more conscientious when handling personal baggage, period. Agreed. I don't see now anything wrong with this at all. Yeah, Absolutely nothing wrong with this. Tell me what transpired at the hearing. So basically at the hearing, we were like restricted to like four minutes of talking, which I found extremely limiting. Um, so what I did in advance was I printed out 12 copies of my my uh, my letter since I couldn't I was sure that I couldn't get everything out. So I had to like rush to just capitalize on major, major key points. I gave it to all the people at the table surrounding us so basically there were lots of people in the room and that were coming to talk about a bunch of other legislations and i my bill was like the second to go um to talk and so i spoke i said what i needed to say and i addressed the major problems you know tsa and sensitivity training and very expensive equipment someone needs to be held accountable for damaging these things because people with disabilities are most likely unable to afford these things on their own. So please make it a point to have this bill be put into place. And I gave them the, you know, the letter so that they could read to hear more of what happened and why it's important to have this and why I want it to go federal. Um, 
then when we asked for anyone to have any additional questions, the room went completely dead. I had a um, YouTube video of it too. How do we access? Hearing. How do we access it? Um, I will send you the link to the YouTube video. And yeah, thank you, Cassandra. We'll get the Bob will get that right out. I will. Absolutely, I have the YouTube link, and it was literally like five or four minutes. Uh, very limited, restricted time. I was kind of expecting to have a little more talking time. I was expecting questions. I wanted people to be curious, and I had to articulate it as clear as possible, and it still felt limited, though everyone else who was there with me said I hit all the points, but somehow everybody just went quiet, which is, you know, everyone else, when they did their speaking point, got questions except for mine. Uh-huh. Well, I'd be anxious to see that video, and I have a distribution list, and I'll send that out, and hopefully that might uh, spark some interest as well. Awesome. Um, even the, I guess you may, it's been a while since I sent you the link with the language to the bill. I'll even include that in the email yes, with the please. YouTube video and Good. the language to the bill. Excellent. Um, and, you know, so that you can make, you know, that like a fully packed distribution. Absolutely. No, thank you, Cassandra. Well, Cassandra, no I certainly I certainly hope that uh, eventually that we get this thing rolling for obvious reasons, as I stated earlier. I hope so, too. It would be really great to get more attention for it. It needs it, it's worth it, and it deserves it for sure. Absolutely. Um, it's common sense, pretty much. Yes. Yeah, you bet. Anyway, uh, we only have a couple of minutes if you want to wrap up with uh, whatever you want to remind our listeners about, encourage them to get involved with, go right ahead. First things first, everyone, I want to say thank you for listening to this session on In Perspective Radio. And um, please feel free to get some cameras and do some freelance photography with either little or no vision and live outside of the borders and don't be afraid to take pictures. And don't forget to go online and Google. Actually, if you Google my name, you will actually find uh, the bill and the language, too, as well as the video that comes with it. So, so I'll spell out my name. Good. Which is my one first, S, C-A-S-A-N-D-R-A, yes. and yep. then Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R. Yes. And then there, it'll bring you right to everything that's under my name. And just so you know, it's infused with a lot of X-Man stuff, so don't let that confuse you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Cassandra, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you have become a regular on this program. I think this is your fourth appearance, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, of course, we want you to come back again, especially to tell us how the photography course has developed, no pun intended, and yes. also the bill. And Absolutely. If in fact, it's going to be passed eventually in this state and any other state. I mean, if not, I can always readdress it and create another piece of legislation that makes it more refined. <laughs> well, if, if I knew that that would make these legislators hurry up, I'd say go for it. I will. In fact, I've been contemplating doing that. Mm -hmm. You can make, I found out you can file as many pieces of legislation as you want. Yes. As a, citizen of this, yes. as a citizen <laughs> of this country. I certainly will be doing that. <laughs> okay, great. Good. Well, thanks again. And, Thank you, Cassandra. Uh, before Thank we you. close, I want to give out my email address for those people who are listening on CJOY and on Out of Sight Radio. It's branco182 at verizon.net if you have any comments. Branco, B-R-A-N-C-O, 182 at verizon.net. Al, as always, Thank you, a Bob. real pleasure. Yep, and uh, I, we hope that everybody travels safe with God and take care. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take care. So, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this very nice podcast and radio show recording that happened live this morning at 11 a.m. 
in Massachusetts regarding legislation for airport security with personal belongings as well as photography classes for the blind. Well, as they usually say, the blind leading the blind. Um, There's always got to be someone that is daring to do these things. And I'm glad that it's me and especially happening in Boston. So, you know, Boston with all of its historical history. And I think I would be very happy to be able to contribute to the history that takes place in Massachusetts in the best way possible through photography with my blind and visually impaired peers all across the Boston area. I wish I was able to teach everybody who was interested, uh, but (laughs) there's only one of me. So if you guys are interested and you wanted to hear a uh, listen to the link to my hearing at the Massachusetts State House seven months ago, you can look me up on YouTube by my um, anchor and podcast name, Casper, C-A-S-P-H-E-R, and you'll see me on YouTube.